In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we gather here this morning in your name. On this Friday in Lent, we remember especially how you gave your life for us so that we could have eternal life. Help us this morning to meditate on eternity once again and to look forward with hope to all that you have promised us in heaven. We pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to come upon us this morning. We thank you for all of the graces we have received this week. We thank you for the many ways that you have revealed yourself to us, for the ways that you have revealed your heart to us, and the ways that you have renewed our minds through your word. Mother Mary, you are the queen of heaven. And we crown you the queen of our meditation here this morning on eternity as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So here's what we will ask for this morning to be graced daily with a profound consciousness or awareness of Christ Jesus's healing love personally experienced that will so enlighten my heart and mind that my every thought word and deed can serve his great work of universal reconciliation. If I'm not mistaken, opening night, I read from Colossians chapter 1, Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter 1. And let's go back to that. Let's, let's come full circle here. Because in, well, let's start with verse 15, Colossians 1 verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So Paul establishing this fact that we meditated on that first day, creation, that we came from God. God took the initiative to create us out of love. And he created all of creation out of love for us. We are ends in ourselves, meaning that we can never be used for something else. We are ends in ourselves, meaning that God created us for himself out of love to be loved, not to be used, but to be loved. But all of creation then is meant for us. 
for our good, for our enjoyment. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So God's plan now is to reconcile all things in himself through the blood of his cross. So we are being reconciled to God, by God and in God. Remember, God taking the initiative. God is the protagonist. God is the one who cares for us and cares about us. And it helps to have this big picture in mind. Because then we don't sweat the small stuff so much when we realize that, okay, God is somehow making all things new and he's reconciling all things to himself, through himself, in himself. Here's Father Watson's little reflection on eternity. I believe the grace of forgiveness opens my heart, making my every thought, word, and deed bear fruit that endures to eternity. I ask that everything in my life serve Christ's great work of reconciliation. That's why mercy is so important. Because it was sin that caused pain and sorrow and death. And so we need an antidote for sin, and that's God's divine mercy. The vaccination that works. <laughs> divine mercy. Get the shot of mercy. His little prelude here, the sacred story of all history revealed on the last day will show that the lost innocence and the broken hearts of humankind inaugurated the great work of reconciliation. Because of Christ's mercy, each of us is now being invited to take our part in this work. The grace of mercy and forgiveness received and offered is the reconciling work that brings true progress to the world. It is the only work that brings fulfillment and bears fruit that endures to eternity. A holy life and the highest consciousness or awareness attainable come in personally knowing the one who both reconciles my life and reconciles all creation. In this reconciling love, I daily discern how to direct each thought, word, and deed to eternal glory, to the divine work of reconciliation. I really like how Father Watson emphasizes that work of reconciliation, that that is now God's work and his plan that he wants us to participate in. That he wants us to participate in. So when Paul talks about 
doing his part, making up in his flesh what is quote-unquote lacking in the sufferings of Christ. It's, it's not that Christ's sacrifice lacked anything, but that Christ calls us. Christ is the head of the mystical body, so he calls all of us his members to participate in this work. And that then is our glory. Christ, Christ has this glory with the Father, and he wants to even share that glory with us. Isn't that what we reflected on last night in John 17? Remember that? Jesus just talking about sharing his glory that he has with the Father with us. He wants to share his glory, which, yeah, it's his love. It's the communion with the Father. But, but there's more to glory, if you will. And if you want to think of any kind of earthly glory, we'll just take that and multiply it you know, by a thousand. And, and we're going to get to participate in the glory of Christ, who reconciled all things in himself. So there's a victory there. There's a victory that Christ won, and he wants us to share in his victory. That's another way of conceiving of sharing in his glory, sharing in a victory. And I always like to say, you know, I played football, so for me it's easy to think about being on a team, a football team, but think about any kind of a team or project for that matter. But for me, the sports analogy works. And... You know, I can think about when I was a freshman in college, for example. I didn't start my freshman year on the football team, but I played some. But then sophomore year, I started every game. And junior year, I started every game. And so it's like the more you participate in the victory, the more you shed your blood, sweat, and tears in the victory, the more you savor it, right? If the Green Bay Packers would have won the Super Bowl this year, I would have been happy. But I wouldn't have had the same amount of happiness that Aaron Rodgers would have had as the team quarterback. Right? Because he's the one who made the effort, who was in the game. So there's this level of participation. That's what I'm trying to... That's the point I'm trying to make. There's a level of participation that corresponds to a level of glory and joy and victory. You know, the, the victory parade. Who won the Super Bowl this year? Oh, yeah, the Rams. Okay. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, they had their victory parade, I guess, in L.A. And those, those fans there enjoyed that. But again, it was the players who must have enjoyed it all the more because they played in the game. They actually... We're out there fighting the fight. So you see where I'm going with this? Like, as Christians, the, the degree to which we fight the good fight will correspond to the amount of glory that we share in heaven. Jesus revealed this to Faustina as well. She saw three kinds of people. She saw three kinds of people in this vision that she had. And one type of person was carrying their cross 
was actually nailed to the cross, I think, if I'm not mistaken, nailed to the cross with Christ. The next person was begrudgingly carrying the cross. And the third class, like, wanted nothing to do with their cross. <laughs> so he's like, well, you know, what kind of person are you going to be? And, and obviously, if, if you're nailed to the cross with Jesus, well, then you're going to share in the glory that Jesus has in heaven. But he's not reserving that for a, a select few. He's actually offering that to all baptized Christians. He's inviting all of us to be nailed to the cross with him in some way. In some way. But we shouldn't be afraid of that because as I was I know I've shared this with some of you, but you know, everybody suffers in life. Nobody doesn't suffer. So you might as well suffer with Jesus, right? You might as well suffer with him so that it can be a part of your glory then. Uh, be a part of his glory. Here's a little reflection from the sacred story Affirmations on Eternity. We reflected first on how awareness of eternity helps us to realize that life on this earth is short. Now we reflect that this transience can open us to see each day as a spiritual event that transcends time and material concerns. Knowing that life has a fixed end, I am freed to search for life's spiritual meaning and help others do the same. So it's to live with supernatural vision. Faustina talks about that grace. Therese certainly practiced it. It's to live life with your eyes wide open to all of the things that are unseen. We profess that every Sunday, right? I believe in all things that are visible and invisible, that God is the creator of all things visible and invisible. So there's a lot of invisible things realities that we don't see with the naked eye but with the eyes of faith we can see and love is like that love has obviously concrete expressions that are seen and felt and heard but on some level it's an invisible reality god himself is an invisible reality, and yet he makes himself present in all things, including us, including his brothers and sisters, his sons and daughters. So then he quotes here from Matthew's gospel. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap. They gather nothing into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you more important than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single moment to your lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothes? Learn from the way the wildflowers grow. They do not work or spin, but I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed like one of them. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which grows today and is thrown into the oven tomorrow, 
Will he not much more provide for you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry and say, what are we to eat or what are we to drink or what are we to wear? All these things the pagans seek. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given you besides. Lord Jesus, help us to daily remember that worry is truly a fruitless use of our precious time. Help us to look to your eternity and the love you have for us. May our awareness of your eternal love open our hearts hourly, daily, weekly, yearly to you who are creation, presence, memory, mercy, and eternity. So we talked about that. The presence being in the present moment. It's a grace. So Lord, again, today, help us to live in the present moment. Help us to be present to you who are always present to us in the present moment. And that that can really help us stay focused on our ultimate goal and destiny, which is God. So again, help us to see each day as a spiritual event. That what I do today actually has eternal consequences. What I do today actually has eternal consequences. That can be really good, right? It can be really bad, but it can be really good. So let's focus on the good. Let's focus on the good that, can, that we can participate in today. We can do things today that will last forever, which is to say we can love today we can love today and every little act of love will last forever. Like I was saying last night, it's like we're, we're composing a song, a symphony, if you will, with every act of love. We're composing a symphony that we will get to listen to and, and, and glory in for all eternity. So in his Theology of the Body, John Paul II comments on eschatological man. So eschatology in theology is the study of the last things. The eschaton is the Greek word for the last things, like the ultimate thing. So as Christians, we believe that there are four last things, essentially, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And obviously purgatory gets lumped in there under heaven, but... Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Those are the last things that we're all going to have to face. Eschatology. So John Paul II wanted to reflect on that because one of the things theology of the body answers, it's not just about sex and marriage. It's really about what, is, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a human being? That's really what theology of the body is all about. And then obviously that includes sex and marriage and family life and so on. But it also includes eschatological man. And in heaven, Jesus says, we're not going to be married nor given in marriage. 
So what's heaven going to be like? Well, let's think about that for a second here. The resurrection of the body. The truth about man's destiny cannot be understood as a state of the soul alone, separated, according to Plato, liberated, from the body, but must be understood as the definitively and perfectly integrated state of man brought about by a perfect union of the soul with the body. So in heaven we'll have this glorified body that will be perfectly integrated, meaning that there will be no tension between God's will and our will, that our minds and our hearts and our bodies will be perfectly united and in harmony with God's will, which is to say love. So we will be able to love perfectly with our minds and our hearts and our bodies in heaven. There'll be no fear of lust or anything like that, no concupiscence. But it's more than that. It's the wedding of the Lamb. For in the resurrection, as I just said, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. That's Matthew twenty-two thirty. At first, Christ's words may seem to undermine all we've said about the greatness of marriage. Quite the contrary, Christ's words point to the crowning glory of all we've said, of all that John Paul II said about marriage. Marriage exists from the beginning to point us to the marriage of the Lamb, Revelation 19.7. In the eschaton, the last things, the primordial sacrament, marriage, will lose its raison d'etre and give way to the divine reality, the marriage of the Lamb. Right, So Christ, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, established marriage as the primordial sacrament. What does a sacrament do? Right, It makes present a divine reality and transmits the grace. I mean, as a primordial sacrament, it didn't do necessarily all of that. But it was a symbol, a sign, pointing to the ultimate reality. Marriage with God. Union with God. Get that? This means that the union of the sexes is not our be-all and end-all. It is only an icon. We must be very careful never to treat it as an idol. Revelation 19, verse 6 and following, 6 to 9 here. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. The wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. So that's Revelation 19. The wedding of the Lamb. Revelation 21. Revelation 21, 1 to 11. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth 
had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God forever and ever. He will wipe, we read this last night, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the, for the old order of things has passed away. I mean, who doesn't want to, who doesn't want to go to that? Why should, why should we be afraid of dying? You know? He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. So all these images, beautiful images, trying to describe just a little bit of what heaven will be like. Heaven is for real. I don't know if you ever saw the movie or read the book, but heaven is for real. I've listened to some great testimonies of people who have gone to heaven and come back. So it's nothing to be afraid of. It's something to look forward to. My dad was so funny. Well, you know, like just a couple days before he died, he was a little out of it. And he looked at me and said, am I dead yet? (laughs) I said, no, dad, you'll know when you're dead. Because you'll be more fully alive than you've ever been before. We will be more fully alive. You know, those who have come back say that everything is alive, so to speak, in heaven. Like it all just has this incredible amount of life flowing through it. And some even say that it flows through you in a sense. So like all life is united in some way, some spiritual, miraculous, beautiful way. We're all united in Christ and because he holds everything together. So, but even like the, the grass and the flowers and the trees seem to be speaking and glorifying God and you're able to, to understand that somehow. And I won't read them now, but if you want to look at Isaiah 62, verses 1 through 5, and then Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. Also, so it's Old Testament prophecy speaking to this reality that God will marry us. Isaiah 62 and Isaiah 65.
Let me read Isaiah 62.4, just because it's so good. Isaiah 62.4, No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah, and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. Hebrew words. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. It's the word of God. That's Isaiah 62, verse 4. Beautiful. So you got to wrap your mind around that and your heart. (laughs) Remember what we talked about, the goal of the Christian life. Spiritualization means that the powers of the spirit will permeate the energies of the body. Because of man's very nature, perfection cannot consist in a reciprocal opposition of the spirit and the body, but only in a deep harmony between them in safeguarding the primacy of the spirit. Man's state in the other world will not only be a state of perfect spiritualization, but also of the fundamental divinization of his humanity. This divinization will be incomparably superior to what can be reached in earthly life. One should add that here we are not dealing only with a different degree, but in some way with another kind of divinization, a glorified body and divinization of our personhood. Something like we cannot experience this side of heaven. We get, we get glimpses of it and we're meant to start participating in it. I mean, we all are by, by virtue of our baptism and the other sacraments. We're already participating in it. As Paul says, we've already received the first installment of our inheritance, but we didn't have to ask for it like the, the younger son in the parable of the prodigal son, but rather God gave us the first installment of our inheritance, which is to say the Holy Spirit. So we've already received divine adoption. We've already received divine adoption through baptism. So we are already a new creation. And throughout our life, we're meant to walk in that more and more. And the Spirit, we're meant to allow the Spirit to possess us, the Holy Spirit, more and more. So that we become more and more like Christ. The absence of marriage in heaven is explained not only by the end of history, but also, and above all, by the eschatological authenticity of man's response to that self-communication of the divine subject. The beatifying experience of God's gift of self will be absolutely superior to every experience proper to earthly life. The reciprocal gift of oneself to God, a gift in which man will concentrate and express all the energies of his own personal and at the same time psychosomatic subjectivity will be man's response to God's gift. This exchange will become completely and definitively beatifying. So we'll be perfectly happy. We'll be perfectly happy 
again, in this eternal exchange of love. John Paul II described the Holy Trinity as an eternal exchange of love. And we will get to participate in that insofar as we are allowed and able to as human beings, creatures, but we will participate in that eternal exchange of love. And we will be perfectly happy forever. So I think it really helps to meditate on heaven so that you're not afraid to die so that you actually look forward to it and you hear that right people who have been there and come back even mothers who had children and husbands that they loved they're like yeah I really don't want to go back (laughs) I mean it's just that fulfilling and complete And of course, when we're in heaven, we're going to get to see all of our loved ones and, and hang out and have a great time. So you're not going to miss anything in heaven. So that's the good news. That's the good news. And every day we get to participate in creating our own heaven. I know some of you like to do interior decorating Well, just think of every virtue that you practice. Every act of love is starting to decorate your mansion in heaven. Every act of love is is one way that you're decorating your mansion in heaven. And all the people that you touched throughout this lifetime, whether you knew them or not, That's the cool thing. You're going to see how all of those prayers you prayed for the conversion of sinners, the salvation of souls, how those prayers were answered and applied. And I just encourage you to to get really creative with your prayer. It makes it so much more life-giving. For example, I mentioned my, my dear friend who was the pop singer in... Spain as a young woman. So her best friend is also a a spiritual giant. And she had this beautiful story how uh, she's the mother of seven sons. So remember the mother of the seven sons from the Old Testament, right? Who watched all of her sons die in front of her, right? So she's the mother of seven sons. And her eighth is a daughter. (laughs) She did have a daughter at the end. So... She, I believe the story goes like this. She was hugging her youngest son, who was still at home at the time. So she gave him a hug before he left for school that morning. And she was inspired by the Holy Spirit to offer that act of love for her son. Of course, she was loving her son in the moment. But then she was inspired to know that she could also offer that to God. And it could be applied to a a little boy who had no mother to hug him that morning. And that the love of God would somehow get communicated to that little boy. And I think she even had like a vision of who it was. It was some boy like in Eastern Europe somewhere. Because like she's, whatever, she just kind of knew that I think. 
God kind of gave her to know that. It was some little boy in Eastern Europe who, and imagine now, like how many little boys will be without their mom, well, dads especially, but they'll be without their moms and dads because of, because of this war. So we can, you know, and that's the beauty of the spirit. You can send love, you know, better than Amazon Prime, right? <laughs> it's instant, right? And it's free. <laughs> Don't need to buy any subscriptions. So isn't that, isn't that beautiful? So you can be as creative as you want to be. And God absolutely honors all of that. If you can think it, if it's a good thought and you can think it, you can be sure that God will honor it. Because no good thought can exist without having God inspire it. Therese was convinced of that, right? Why would, why would I have a good desire that didn't come from God? So any good desire, he wants to fulfill sooner or later. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't desire it. So God is that good. And, in, and then in heaven, we'll get to see how all of those good things that we prayed for and that we did shaped eternity for ourselves and for those that we loved.